And then next Sunday, uh, we're going to uh, take up an offering of time and of prayers and of money towards that vision. One of the things I love about um, Emmaus is we're not some big machine that needs to be fed with cash. Uh, We're a pretty simple, uh, growing uh, organization that we just, every year we get with God, we listen to him, we say, Lord, what are you calling us to do? And then uh, we say, this is what we sense God's saying. And if people are up for it and excited about it, we say, this is kind of how much it will cost. And then people give and if they want to. And then together we can conspire and make something happen. And frankly, if, we, uh, if, if people don't give, we just won't do those things. We'll just you know, do very little. And so that's kind of the way that it works. But I, I, I want to come at this with uh, so much uh, thanks giving, because it's also time for taking stock and looking back at the last year. And it's been absolutely uh, extraordinary. When you sit down and realize what God's doing in our midst, it is uh, really incredible. I'm just so grateful to God and actually so grateful to so many of you for all that you do and all that you give uh, day in, day out. We're not just a Sunday church. People are giving themselves in different ways throughout the week. And so this is just, you're going to have to stick with me on this list, okay? But this is just in the last year uh, what has happened. Bear in mind, most people's view of church is kind of people rock up on Sunday and it changes about once every 500 years. This is the last year in this community. We have renamed ourselves and therefore had to rebrand everything. We are now Emmaus, and it doesn't sound weird, and uh, Dan Jones isn't making jokes about us being Emmausing people or any of that stuff. We're just, that's who we are, we're Emma- and that's, that's all in the last year. Uh, we've grown, we've looked at the numbers, and believe it or not, when you factor everything together in real terms, we have grown 40% in terms of attendance on Sundays and collectives over this uh, last year. We've multiplied collectives, therefore, with the leeches leading a new one and uh, with Chris Berry leading a collective. We've sent out David and Joy James to San Francisco to work uh, in amongst uh, gang members. And, um, you know, it's God's sense of humor. I can't think of anyone less culturally relevant to San Francisco gang members than David James. And so, uh, but the thing with David, he's got a big heart and he just, God send me anywhere. And that's where he's gone. And we blessed uh, that, sent them out. Uh, we recruited and hired two brilliant youth workers, just absolutely so gifted, Matt and Mike. Uh, We launched and have hosted the Vision Course. In fact, two lots of the Vision Course this year. And I see Nikki with her very nice new hairstyle at the back there who uh, was, was on the very first Vision Course and whatever, 18 months ago, two years ago, an atheist, and now has met, fully rediscovered Jesus and is sold out for him and is helping lead on the next course, has got a vision uh, for what she wants to do with her life, with Jesus at the center of it. And so that's been in the last uh, year. We've, in the last year, uh, launched family outreach with Liz's leadership and Katie and Sue and various others. And through that, we're beginning the process of caring for some of the poorest communities and families in our community. And uh, we've also this year, under Sammy's organizational skill, renovated Allen House. And uh, it may interest you to know this, that it's very hard to book Allen House now. We are uh, busy pretty much every night. Uh, I think it's true, you can't, every night Allen House is now used. That's been a apart from weekends. So it's just been a really good use of, uh, uh, of money from last year, making that home for ourselves. This time last year, it really wasn't, didn't look very nice at all. Uh, we've run alpha courses, marriage course, a welcome party. We've relaunched prayer with Steve's leadership. Uh, we've launched the Thursday prayer meeting. We've increased the 24-7 prayer on what we were doing uh, previously, uh, which has been brilliant. Uh, we've hosted memorable outreach events with Linvoy Primus, the premier football player, with Charlie Mackersy. We had the biggest ever weekend away with Mike Andre. Are you still with me? 
Okay, I know it's a list, but just try and stay with me here. Uh, we have completely overhauled our website. We have strengthened the worship team under Pete Burton's brilliant leadership. Uh, we have uh, had engagements, marriages, births, baby dedications, and no funerals this year, which is good, isn't it? That's, that's, that's good, yes. Uh, we've had food involved in almost uh, everything that we've done as a community, which I think is also a good thing, uh, that we, we are almost unable to meet without eating together. And, um, you know, at the recent uh, baptism uh, and barbecue time at Lee Farm, I just looked around, all those people crammed in uh, to James and Julia's lovely home there, and heard the singing filling the space and looked at the guys still shivering from being submerged in the swimming pool. And I just thought, this is amazing. I mean, it's, it's just a, a, such a beautiful community to be part of. And I just felt so grateful to God. And I actually felt a bittersweet sadness because I know we're not really going to be able to fit in that building for much longer and uh, there'll come the day we probably can't keep doing it quite like that but we'll put it off as long as we possibly can and um, and then you know I look around at the extraordinary people that are in this room and those who are part of this community who are not here with us uh, this afternoon and I just think it's amazing I, I mean, when Hannah spoke a few weeks ago, it's brilliant. I was sitting there thinking, wow, she's got a, a teaching gift. This is fantastic. Uh, you know, good old Pete leading worship. Isn't, isn't Pete brilliant, what he does? And, uh, you know, I think this is cool. I don't know if anyone else does. But Pete's first song he wrote when he was about 17. And Maroon 5 tried to buy it from him. And he said no. To Maroon 5. So I just think that's amazing. Some of you look at me like Maroon 5. What is that? Um, Talk to Pete afterwards. You know, Emma Nicholson, whose birthday is today, she she was trying to work out, do I go for sort of acting and theatre and musical and all that, or do I go for youth work and, and really trying to make a difference in young people's lives? And she decided to go for youth work. And, you know, she won't go around talking about this, but she is one of the top, if not the top, in her whole course uh, as a youth worker. And she's part of this. And when she starts to talk about the, the vision to plant the thing on a bushy hill, you know, she often just fills up with tears. And I just think that is uh, something amazing. And Mike Stambrook, so good to have the Stambrooks with us. And Mike's vision for, uh, for, for CAP and for, you know, reaching out to people who are in debt and do you know i like the way mike and carol work together because carol's there like praying and interceding and mike's out there being friendlier than jesus to everybody and i you know i i, I could go i look around the room and i just think what amazing people why god are you bringing so many amazing people together like this and i think the answer is because this isn't it it's because we're going somewhere and we've got a vision for something and uh, God is kind of stockpiling talent because he's calling us to be a generous people who will uh, bless others. And so I want us to look together at um, a little bit of the Bible that I think will help frame something of the vision I think we uh, have for the coming year. And um, it, it, it's looking at a particular church in the New Testament that um, had much of the same DNA as I think that we have got. It's the uh, church in Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. And um, we're going to read this together. If you've got a Bible, this is Acts chapter 11, starting to read at verse 19. I also printed out on some bits of paper that um, will be on the table for a few of you. So Acts chapter 11, and we're going to read 19 to the end. Okay? Good. Okay. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. So just pause there. So the first Christian martyr, Stephen, has been stoned to death in Jerusalem. Uh, Persecution of Christians breaks out. We haven't yet hit the thing where Nero will be crucifying our brothers and sisters upside down and all that horrible stuff that went on. And um, in fear, 
they left. Do you imagine having to leave Guildford, not because you've got a job move or you can't afford your mortgage, but because you know, your kids' lives are in danger at school or whatever, because word has got out that you're believers. And so they're, they're spreading, so the diaspora, they just began to spread out. And uh, so uh, um, those uh, spreading out traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch in Turkey, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's just a nickname. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and, through the Holy Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This actually happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. That's responding to a prophetic word with great faith, isn't it? They don't say, well, as soon as it happens, we'll try and put a little bit by. They say, it's going to happen, let's take up an offering. Now, skip, please, to chapter 13, and we're just going to read the first three verses of chapter 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them out. Uh, I'm going to get you to, to discuss this passage uh, in just a moment, but let me give you three bits of context before uh, I set you loose to do that. And uh, this is uh, context that I think helps us understand not just what's happening in this passage, but how it is relevant to us and our situation. The first thing to say is this, this is a hinge moment in the whole of the New Testament. Probably Acts chapter 10 through to about 13 or 14. You can almost imagine a great door creaking open. It is a shift of the center of gravity of Christianity at this moment because before it's the focus is on the apostle Peter and pretty much after this the whole of the spotlight falls on the apostle Paul. Beforehand, the focus was on the great centralized church in Jerusalem that was trying to keep control of all this wild stuff that was going on and make sure that it didn't all go mad. And afterwards, the focus is much more on this decentralized mission-sending church in Antioch outside of the great power base of Judaism. And uh, we also see a shift here from an exclusively Jewish mission. Christianity at this point is just a mission to Jews, wherever they are in the world, to uh, a Gentile mission, the majority of the world, that suddenly, um, and at this moment, you just read it in this story, uh, Christians start to do something almost unthinkable. Well, they weren't really Christians. They're not even called that yet. They're just Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah. They start taking that good news to people who uh, don't have any particular Jewish framework in their thinking. So that's the first thing. This is a hinge moment. The second thing that I think is important context is this, that Antioch as a place was extraordinarily strategic. It was a city of about 500,000 people. Uh, it was possibly even the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, it, it, it had been founded uh, by, by um, it doesn't really matter, a, a, a soldier, uh, a couple of generations earlier, had named it after his father. 
And uh, it was strategic because it was this melting pot of cultures. And so it, the, the list of five prophet teachers that we had at the start of chapter 13 there is indicative, presumably, of the whole church. So you have Barnabas. Uh, William Barclay said Barnabas was the biggest hearted of uh, Jesus' um, early uh, followers. And he, his, his name, as you know, was probably a nickname, just meant son of encouragement. And he lived up to that name. Wherever he goes, Barnabas is encouraging people. And he was from Cyprus, a place in our news uh, today. And so here you have a Cypriot living in Turkey in Antioch. Then you've got uh, Saul, who, as you know, becomes Paul from Tarsus. Not bad to have him on your leadership team. And he has been fetched by Barnabas and brought to this place. And then you have two North Africans, uh, because uh, Simeon, called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene uh, was uh, in North Africa. And so you've got... uh, uh, um, Three Middle Eastern men and two uh, uh, North African black men uh, who are there. And by the way, uh, Simeon may well have been the guy who helped carry uh, Jesus's cross. And then on top of that, uh, we have Manayan. Now, he's really interesting because he's grown up with the king, with Herod the Tetrarch. He may even have been a foster brother of the king. And so we know Luke, who's writing this story, seems to have a a, a stool pigeon, an inside track on things that were happening in the royal palace. And we're pretty sure it's coming from this guy, his friendship with Manaen. It's a strong theory that Luke may even have come to know uh, Christ through this church, uh, because in some translations he says we uh, when they talk about the gathered church, and, uh, but that's, that's, that's another thing we don't need to get into. But Manai in there, uh, growing up with Herod, and so we've got uh, different nationalities, we've got very, very powerful, well-connected people, and we've got uh, presumably much less wealthy and well-connected people. And I think one of the things God's doing with us here in, in, in Guildford is he is pulling together just an extraordinary diversity of people. Without Jesus, I'm not sure we'd all be in a room together. We've got students. We've got people who haven't got a lot of money. We've got people who've got a bit more money. We've got people who've got very, very powerful jobs. We've got people who are looking for work. And we want to grow that. We want to particularly reach out to the, 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 the neediest and the poorest people. They are our focus. They are the ones we go after because the others know how to get into their Jaguars and find us. But, the, but, but, but the, you know, the most marginalized are the ones that we need to go and say, you're not on the mark. Margin. You know how you get someone off the margins? You hug them. You bring them right into the center. And so um, we, we're looking for diversity, and we have that, and we're growing that. The third bit of context, the first, we remember this a hinge moment. The second is that Antioch was a strategic place, a diverse community. And the third is that they were experiencing very exciting growth. Look at this. There's a particular phrase, I wonder if you can spot it, that is repeated again and again. Verse 21, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 24, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 26, Saul and Barnabas taught great numbers of people. Great numbers, great numbers, great numbers. They were growing. Now, sadly, we're not growing at that pace, but we are growing. And I know from talking to some of you, that sometimes we can feel nostalgic for when things are a little bit smaller and more intimate. And frankly, I just want to say uh, it's fine to feel nostalgic, but we are not staying in the same place. We're going somewhere and we're growing. And uh, for all of the you know, things we lose as we grow, we gain other things. And when the Spirit of the Lord is moving, there is fruitfulness and there's multiplication. And so we have to get used to growth. So what I'd love you to do around your tables, please, is discuss uh, this simple question. How did the church in Antioch express the three loves? And you'll see on your sheets there what the three loves are. Jesus really told us to do three things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another. You know, greater love has no man than this. He laid down his life for his friend. And then... Love the lost. Love those who are not part of this community. Uh, Go into all the world, says Jesus. 
preach the gospel. There's the three loves. And the vision of every single church, anywhere in the world, I guarantee, if it's a real church, is basically those three loves, however they frame it. And so what I'm interested in is I'd like you to do a bit of archaeology. I'd like you to look at this passage and say, where can we see the three loves? Loving God, loving the way they loved each other, and the ways they loved those who weren't part of their community in this passage. So have a read of it, and then maybe share your ideas. Someone take a few notes. And by the way, can I ask, actually, just before you do that, Grab a crayon, and could everyone write their name on the tablecloth in front of them, please? So write your name on the tablecloth in front of you, so everyone's name is there, so that it just makes discussion easier. It's kind of like name tags at a wedding. Write your names down. And And then read the passage and just work out where do you see the three loves in this passage. Let me, uh, let me try and draw, draw some of this together. And in doing so, I want to talk about some of the vision for the, the coming year. Which one did you find easiest? Which is most obvious in there? Loving God, loving one another, loving the lost. What did you find? Loving one another? Oh, good for you. I thought that was the hardest one. Anyone, any, anyone else? What did, what did other people find? Uh, Ian, Ian wants everyone to know that he found all of them uh, in there. Uh, it, was, it was easy. Good. Okay. Let's look at this. First of all, at, you know, at the heart of this growing, dynamic, mission-sending DNA, we have these three loves very clearly. First of all, this is a community that is clearly uh, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, they regularly are gathering to pray and worship and fast. I thought it was interesting. They are an interruptible people. They're interruptible by God's voice. And so, first of all... Um, uh, Agabus comes along and gives a prophecy that interrupts uh, what they're doing in order to take up this offering. And then uh, later, the Holy Spirit comes and interrupts their time of prayer and fasting and uh, tells them to send out Saul and Barnabas. And that's the beginning of uh, Paul's first uh, great missionary journey. Um, Quite a few years ago, I I wrote a a poem called The Vision, and it starts with this line, what's the vision? The vision is Jesus. And I think it's so important for us as we move forward that we keep hold of the fact that Jesus is um, not just where it all begins, but where it all ends. We don't get so caught up in doing all the stuff that we lose the being. And uh, it's interesting with these people Uh, here in Antioch, that they get this nickname Christian. Why? It must have been because they were talking about Christ all the time. I love the idea that, one, we would have such a presence in our communities, they would need to come up with a nickname for us. And then if they did come up with a nickname for us, that they would come up with a nickname that had the name of Jesus in it, because all they could think of was they talk about Christ all the time. I think that's the most amazing backhanded compliment. And of course, it's stuck. Jesus Christ was the focus for everything else they were about. And I was struck that good old Pope Francis said this, you can be a priest, a bishop, a cardinal, or even a pope, and still not a disciple of Jesus. We are called to be focused on and followers of Jesus. This year, I think it is important, as it will be every year, to make sure that we as a community are putting first things first. And that really, for me, means that we're going to need to, this year, look at how can we continue to grow and consolidate our corporate prayer and worship life together as a church. Uh, It's been brilliant launching the Thursday prayer meetings uh, this year. One of the great distinctives of those, by the way, is they are intercessory. 
It's important that we wait and we hear from God and minister to one another, but it's also vital that we pray the way the New Testament church did, and that means outwards uh, into all the things going around us. And Thursdays are a bit of both. And uh, we want to keep growing that and growing the 24-7. Uh, and uh, as you know, the next week of prayer, as Ian just mentioned, is 26th of April to 2nd of May. Do sign up. Do get your hour in the prayer room. And, uh, you know, this is just a good discipline. It is a good discipline. In a consumer culture, this is not about, you know, uh, does it make me feel good? It's about, you know, Jesus once looked at some of his disciples and said, could you stay awake with me for an hour? Could you watch and pray? And once in a while, it's good just to say, I'll do that for you, Jesus. I will pray. And in a busy world, the prayer room is a place to get space. It's a time where you can uh, pray and be part of something bigger, both here locally and globally. And so please get involved. I would hope that everyone who feels right at the heart of this community wants to get involved, sees that it is as important to be regularly putting time into our corporate prayer life as it is to be putting money into the offering. And I know for some of us, we've got more time than others. But I see this as such a key. It's one of the great distinctives to everything that we are about. It's one of the things that makes us different as a community, that at the heart of everything we are is prayer and worship and encounter with God. We are not defined by our meetings or by buildings, but by encounters with God. If we lose encounter with God, we lose everything that we're about. If we have encounter with God, anything can happen. An Agabus can suddenly say a famine's coming and we have to respond. The Holy Spirit can interrupt our meetings and say, uh, uh, you need to send out these two people over there. And by the way, this is not theory. This is the reality of what we're living in. Uh, What was it? A couple of years ago now, we were praying uh, in Allen House, and the Holy Spirit said to us, set John apart and send him to Japan. We laid hands on him. Within 24 hours, he'd received invitations, randomly unconnected, just only connecting the Spirit to Japan. He went. The doors all opened. He'd been praying for those opportunities for decades. This is what we live with. We live this stuff, and the only way we're going to keep living this is to be uh, uh, people who continually come back and say, God, what are you doing? We'll go anywhere. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, We'll do anything that you want us to do just tell us and speak to us and so we have to be people who are prayerful and worshipful and um, it's interesting by the way that the only times that we have references to fasting are in the context of worship and prayer fasting is a negative thing you just stop doing something you fill it with worship and uh, prayer together and so uh, let's keep growing our worship and prayer life let's grow and train and deploy the incredible musical talent we've got thanks to ACM in this area we've got the most incredible musicians and we want to keep growing you know honestly I want to help our young people fall in love with Jesus in worship more. Because if you go to things like Soul Survivor, all the young people are there, hands in the air, worshipping like mad. You take some of our young people there and they're looking around shocked that their own generation is worshipping like that. I want Emmaus to be a place where teenagers know that the most radical thing you can do is worship Jesus. So I want us to grow our worship. I want people to encounter God more in our worship uh, together. I want us to lose ourselves in worship, to be less worried about what other people think uh, and know that ultimately we're doing this for the audience of one. So let's, let's really ask the Lord to take us on a journey in worship and prayer. I think one of the implications of all that's going on with us at the moment is we may need, and I know this is sort of a a big thing to throw out there, it's not a done deal, but we may need to start meeting uh, every Sunday from September. Uh, We currently, as you know, one Sunday a month meet in collectives, but I've had the youth workers come to me and say it's really difficult that we don't meet every Sunday. I've had Pete Burton and the worship leaders saying it's really difficult to build up momentum, to really grow in worship. We're not meeting together in that kind uh, of way. And I've had one or two people whose great passion is for uh, just learning and teaching say it's hard to really build up because we have one that's a pizza feast and that's brilliant and we love that and so we effectively only have two uh, teaching uh, uh, um, sessions uh, um, a month and we often take time off in the holidays and so people are saying could we please grow in all these different areas and I know that's tricky I don't actually have the answers about how that might fit with you know the collectives that meet on Sundays and all the rest of it but I just want to tell you that I think that is a conversation we may 
well have to have, and it's a good thing to do with growth, even though we may feel a little nostalgic uh, for some of the beautiful and wonderful things we've currently got. I don't want to stop anything that God's blessing, but I just believe as we talk together, we can find ways forward with these uh, things. It may well be uh, that we have to move to a bigger venue at some stage this uh, next year, and um, that's going to be an interesting one, and it's going to require some funding probably. Um, You know, this call to prayer, to love God before we do anything else, just to be focused on him in prayer and worship, is not just one of our distinctives as a community right at the heart of the 24-7 prayer movement, but it is also something that chimes with the times. Um, Many of you will be familiar with prayer spaces in schools, one of the initiatives that's come out of 24-7. Prayer space in schools has had a 58% growth in the last six months. The number of schools saying, come and open prayer spaces. And uh, we're right at the heart of that. Isn't that amazing? Uh, People encountering God in those schools. And um, you'll be aware that we just helped uh, facilitate this this tour of the Archbishop of Canterbury and the build-up to his enthronement at at Canterbury Cathedral. We went around these five cathedrals. He just phoned me up and he said, will you help organize this? And I said, yeah, of course we will. By the way, that was an interruption. There was never anything in our plan for the year that, yes, at some point this year, by the way, uh, someone that we know will be appointed to be Archbishop of Canterbury and he is highly likely to ask us to tour with him and to pray and we will have to build this into our budget at a time. We had no spare money, no spare time, but when the Holy Spirit moves, you have to be willing to jump, right? And so this is true for us. Everything that I lay out today isn't necessarily the way it's going to work because we want to be people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and Jesus says those born of the Spirit are unpredictable. No one quite knows where it comes from or where it goes. It doesn't mean that we are um, imprudent or that we're reckless, but it does mean that we're obedient to whatever he says. And it was amazing turning up. Scott did the whole tour. I was just a part-timer and turned up on a couple of the, uh, the, the, the gigs. And uh, it was amazing, actually, driving down the road. The Bishop of Truro in the front, the Archbishop there, and you see the crowds at the bottom of the street. And I just heard the Archbishop of Canterbury going, oh, sugar, like that, <laughs> because he realized how many people had turned up. And in Chichester, it was extraordinary because um, the, the police had clearly only expected five old grannies to turn up because it's the Archbishop of Canterbury and it's prayer. Right, But in fact, there was over a 1,000 people and the street was blocked off and the Costa delivery van got marooned in this crowd of people who had come to pray and the guy didn't know what to do and he's Polish anyway. And, 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 and the police were clearly, they had messed up. They should have realized that, that God's doing something in the nation. And so we had thousands turn up at these different cathedrals to pray. Guys, wake ourselves up. We've got to realize this doesn't normally happen. There's something that God is doing when people are uh, praying in that kind of way. And so this call that we've got as a community is part of something that God is doing uh, in the nation. And in his sermon at his enthronement, Justin Welby said this, St. Benedict set out to create a school of prayer. That's all. And incidentally, almost accidentally, he saved European civilization. We've got to understand that prayer is fundamentally integrated with all the other stuff we're longing to see uh, do, what we do at work, uh, the ways that we uh, engage with our friends and so on. Um, And I think it's important this year to strengthen our links with 24-7. You know, that was part of why Sammy and I moved here, because we knew God wanted to build a community somewhere that could be a resource for 24-7 prayer uh, all around uh, the world. And that's part of our vision. I want to be absolutely clear about that, that 24-7 is not some other thing that's sort of vaguely on the side. It's one thing. We, are, we have some different governance, some different structures, but we want to be a blessing. It's a privilege to be at the heart of something so exciting that's working all over the world. Great to have Steve and Vicky Woods with us uh, from Australia, um, part of 24-7 on the other side of the world. And uh, do come along, guys, next Saturday to the Resource Day uh, that's happening here in Guildford. Uh, please make it a priority. If you're saying, yeah, actually, that's one of the things I love about Emmaus. It's at the heart of the 24-7 movement. One of the dangers that can happen in a community like this is we tell you less about 24-7 than we do anywhere else because we don't want to bore you. But actually, it, what God is doing, we are in the season of the greatest blessing we have ever had in the 13 years that 24-7 has been going. It's happening right now. And I'd love you to come and not just 
just hear the stories, but make friends with other boiler room communities and other people doing similar things. If the thing I said about prayer space in schools is interesting to you, come and find out more about that. It's uh, Emmanuel Church next Saturday for the day. I think there's a charge, but just turn up. We'll, if you can't afford it, we'll cover that. I just want us as a community to really know what's going on and feel right at the heart of the whole thing. So that's love God. We want to grow in prayer and worship and ministry this year. But also uh, we are called, and the Antioch church clearly knew that it was called, to uh, love one another. I really like the way that Barnabas seems to have just fallen in love with this church. (laughs) You know, he's only sent on a little mission to check they're not a bunch of heretics. And he ends up kind of staying and making it his home and deciding he likes it so much, he goes and gets his mate Saul and goes, Oi, you ought to come and join this lot too. And Saul, it's been seven or eight years since he kind of got saved. By the way, why are they in Antioch? Half of them are in Antioch because they've been persecuted by people like Saul. Some of them may even have been in Antioch because of Saul. And suddenly Barnabas goes, Oi, Saul, come and join them. Can you imagine how awkward it was? You know, what brought you here? Well, actually, Saul, it was you. <laughs> you tried to kill my mum, you know. And, and it's amazing how quickly that Saul ends up on the leadership team. It's within a year. Notice that. It's interesting. That's not easy. To, you know, they didn't go, well, this is Saul. He's going to be Paul. He's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Um, we're, you know, quite thrilled to have him in, uh, in our midst. They're just like, this is this murderous, slightly intense guy. You know, the early mosaics of Paul show that his eyebrows joined in the middle. He had a monobrow, uh, the Apostle Paul. It's a detail, but I thought some of you, sadly, that will stick with you. But why else would you? It was either a bit of bad mosaicing or he had a monogram. And, 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 and so here's this very intense, hyper-intelligent guy with more energy than his body can contain. Uh, and suddenly, and he's been trying to kill your relatives, and he's suddenly in your midst, but they embrace him into the community. And actually, it's arguable because... Saul, uh, Paul, his three great missionary journeys all really were sent out from this community, and it begins with this prayer meeting. You ask me how prayer and mission fit together, duh. And, uh, you know, this was his rocket launch pad. This was where he he became his home. And um, it's arguable that Paul wouldn't really have done half of what he did if he hadn't found this community in Antioch that would believe in him and would pray for him and would send him out and support him. And I want us to be like that for people. I want us to be a community that, that recognizes gifting, trains it up, blesses it. We're not insecure. We're not competitive. We're not trying to keep each other down. We're just celebrating each other. We're realizing this is a room full of leaders. And then whenever we find the gifts that the other person's got, we bless Bless it, and we say, let's, let's use it. Let's hope that most of us will use it locally. Otherwise, it's going to be very, very small. Uh, but some of us, we're going to be sent to the other ends of the earth to outwork those giftings. I look at Craig's ability, the, the intellect that God's given him, not just with maths and computer stuff. And I just think, what could God do? I look at uh, Nikki's uh, uh, just passion for caring for uh, uh, children and, and, and um, you know, may, maybe going into that profession. I think, wow, what an extraordinary gift we've got in our, our midst. And I could go around the room. It's very dangerous when you start doing this. But there's gifting, and I want us to be people who recognize that, celebrate it, and send it out uh, wherever possible. And, um, you know, one of the things I love about this community is that it is, I think, very loving. I know we're not perfect, but we just did this exercise. We, I just randomly picked some d- different people and asked someone just to write, um, some, do some interviews. You might have seen them on the website. It's just silly little interviews, fixed questions about, you know, how do you get involved with Emmaus and how do you become a Christian and that sort of thing. And you know, Every single one is funny, but also every single one says, well, the thing I like most about Emmaus is I feel welcomed, I feel loved here. I had someone say to me this year, I never knew that church could be this loving. And I just think that is what uh, we're called to. We're called to love one another. So let's grow in that. What does that look like in terms of our vision for the year? Well, clearly collectives are working, and we want to keep growing those and developing those. I I do think the joint collectives work fantastically. So as long as we can all fit in one place, let's keep doing it like mad and getting together. And as long as the uh, Thomases and the Leeches uh, will will, um, be willing to host us, then and, uh, you know, we want to we keep doing that. Um, and um, 
Thank goodness that Liz is going to be coming back from maternity leave at some point. The ship has kind of limped on without her pastoral uh, genius. But, um, you know, we want to grow in caring for people. Guys, the reason that we want as many people as possible to come to focus in uh, um, end of July, beginning of August, isn't just because, you know, it's a Christian camp, it's what Christians do. It's because it's very hard to love one another if we don't spend time together. And actually, it's really good to spend time together relaxing and worshipping and praying and having barbecues and having drinks and interacting with different age groups. That's how we build a diverse church that truly loves each other. And I know lots of you have already signed up to come, but there are still spaces. Again, we don't want money to stop anyone coming. So honestly, there's only two reasons you wouldn't come. Either you can't make the time or you can't afford it. Um, and if, if, it's, if it's the time issue, uh, then just see if you can. So it's five days. If you're students, you're all free. I guarantee I know what your diaries are like, and you're all free. <laughs> it's end of July, early August. Um, you know, if it's work, then what, you know, I know it's costly one of your four or five weeks of holiday a year, but what a good thing to do. And, um, and if it's money, please don't let money stop you. But I would just, I, my dream is that there'll be some nights, the end of July, early August, where we're all sitting out, laughing our heads off, uh, eating good food, drinking whatever we drink, the kids are running crazy, people are weeping because the Holy Spirit's spoken to them and done stuff in their lives, and it's just a lovely space of community and, uh, and growing in relationship. You know, um, it's interesting that part of loving one another here in Antioch was that Saul and Barnabas did teaching, Bible teaching, for a year. <laughs> By the way, some of you, I know you think I speak too long. But Saul did actually once speak so long that someone fell asleep, fell out of a window and died. And I can tell you that no one has yet died in one of my talks. So I, I'm not, I don't pride myself on it, but I'm just slightly covering my backside here. And, uh, you know, Saul and Barnabas uh, taught for a year. Can you imagine how good that was? Some of the Bible teaching that Hannah um, has fixed up in Allen House over the last uh, few months has been extraordinary. I mean, absolutely incredible. I talked to one of the teachers who is like a professor of this, that, and the other, uh, and a serious intellect. He comes down from London to do it, and I just said to him, thank you so much for coming, Lincoln. And he said, yeah, he said, I don't really normally do such small groups, but he said, I just love coming down. There's such a hunger amongst uh, your, your lot. I just love it for that reason. And, um, you know, it's such an opportunity. It's easy to take it for granted when it's on our doorstep. But do come along when those uh, Bible school nights are on, on Tuesday nights. I know not everyone can make it, but we want to grow, don't we? We don't want to just, you know, feed on the sort of scraps of what we can pick up on Sunday. We want to really worship God with all of our minds as well as our hearts and our, our souls and that's part of how we'll love one another um, and of course we got a vision for growing community amongst young people with the Friday night youth club that we want to start this year year seven to nine the after school club uh, for years four to six a monthly event for years 10 to 12 uh, another part of loving one another is good governance and we are I'm thrilled to say launching our own charity uh, in imminently under Chris Leach's worthy chairmanship and so we, we surfed as long as we possibly could on on the Boiler Room uh, um, Matrix charity, uh, but once our income was uh, a, a, a quite a chunk of theirs, uh, we felt we probably needed to uh, um, start our own charity, and it's, the Matrix have been incredibly gracious and helpful in that whole process. Finally, so I've talked about how we can love God more this year and grow in prayer and worship and, and ministry and how we can love one another more, spending time together at Focus and Soul Survivor and maybe needing an extra Sunday and, uh, and, and uh, Bible teaching and youth clubs. And then finally, of course, we are called to love the lost, to love those who aren't part of our community. You know the, the, the quote from Archbishop William Temple where he says, uh, the church is only society on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. So if we were just here loving God and uh, ministering to each other, loving each other, but we weren't reaching out 
then we would really be failing. Jesus commands us to go and to share his good news. And um, I find it interesting, verse 19, that the, the most of these people have been scattered by the persecution to Antioch. But when they get there, they don't just sort of hide, they don't grumble, they preach the gospel. And so whatever brings you to Guildford or puts you in your workplace or your college, no matter what hurts you might be carrying or disappointments, you are called to be someone who shares the good news of Jesus where you are right now. Please don't tell me I would become a great evangelist if I went to British Guyana or, you know, Zambia. We have to start here. We have to start where we are. And... um, Please note as well, so this is very important, uh, clearly the church in Antioch um, began to preach the good news to Gentiles. And I often think that you can, it's not a precise uh, grid, but there is some truth in this, that you can equate the, 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 the evangelism to Jews as reaching out to people with some kind of church background. They've got some kind of Christian knowledge. They may not go to church. They may go once or twice a year. But, but they've got some basic knowledge. And then the, the, the preaching the gospel to the Greeks, who, by the way, didn't even have a word or a notion of Messiah. So they couldn't come in and say Jesus is Messiah because it was like just a made-up, strange notion. They had to find new ways of communicating the good news of Jesus. I think that's a lot like trying to reach out to people who are completely unchurched, who don't have any kind of uh, real Christian knowledge. And Guildford has got loads of those people. And we want to reach them. We want to reach the Jews and the Greeks. By the way, I meet some people who think it's all about reaching the unchurched, but it's very, very important here. Verse 18 says, to the Gentiles Also, God has granted repentance unto life. Verse 20, to the Greeks, also. It is also, we have to do both. We have to bring the good news to people who've got some kind of church background but don't have a living relationship with Jesus. Uh, Or maybe they don't know the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the life that he brings. And we want to bring the good news of Jesus to people who have no idea whatsoever about who he is and what he's done for them. Our vision is not to grow up and become a normal church, okay? I love the fact we meet in a pub. Can I encourage more people to buy pints of beer? If you drink, if you don't drink, please don't start drinking here. That would be a bad thing. But if you do, please, it worries me that we meet in a pub and so few of you buy drinks. If it's money, come and I'll buy you a drink, won't I? Yeah, because we're in a pub, we ought to drink here. It's, to me, it's a lovely thing that we can have a pint in our hand and worship Jesus and, and celebrate who he is with all the good things he's given us. And, uh, you know, um, we, we, our vision is not to be a normal church one day. I love that we have baptisms with barbecues on the side. I love that we have communion in the context of pizza feasts. I actually find it very moving watching sometimes a child ministering the bread and wine to their mum or dad. I think that's the most profound thing. I love that we do that. And so, but the reason we do what we're doing isn't because we're trying to be different or we're trying to be cool. What we're doing is we're trying to work out how do we do church in a way that can reach out effectively to people who are Greeks, if you like, who don't normally go to church. The kids are back, so we're going to draw it together now. So I think one of the questions we've got to ask as we look to this year is, who are our Greeks? (laughs) Who are our Jews and who are our Greeks? I do think that uh, one of our great opportunities is the mission field amongst students and young people. Uh, You know, Guildford's got a phenomenally high percentage of students. Ian, what's the stat? Can you remember? 20,000, 25,000 is it, George? 30. (laughs) 35. (laughs) We got lots. And and very few of them know Jesus. And all the stats say that so many of them who come here to uni, if they did have a faith, are going to lose it when they get here. We want to make a difference. I want to do anything to make a difference. Every year, uh, some international students commit suicide because they're so lonely. And I just, it breaks my heart. I sometimes say, God, why didn't you just tell me I'd have gone? But maybe we need to go and find ways of engaging more. And so I I think there's a call on us because 24-7 has a distinctive amongst young people. 
because we're a relatively flexible young church. I mean, look, we're all about Jesus, but we do free pizza, for crying out loud. We've got to be able to reach out to young people and students. It's brilliant how many God's already uh, given us. And uh, one of the reasons we want to do Bushy Hill is because we want to reach out to people who don't have any clue about Jesus, and there are plenty of them that we're already meeting there. I'd love us to do Belfields as well this year, because again, that is a context in which we can reach out to all sorts of new people. We're going to keep pushing with Alpha and with the Pizza Feast. By the way, Pizza Feast is the easiest thing to invite your friends to. The only thing we could make, do it to make it any easier would be to not mention Jesus at all. But I actually don't feel we have liberty to do that. Uh, but, but, you know, it is church, but it's pizza and it's here and it's vaguely friendly. And I want us to keep doing that as a way of reaching out. Let me, let me finish. I really believe God's calling us to focus. And like many of you, um, I've got quite a lot of pulls on my time. I know many people in this room have got pulls on your time. I've got pulls on my money. Uh, You know, I could spend it in lots of different ways. I could be full-time easily at HTB if I wanted. I could be full-time at 24-7 easily if I wanted. I could spend most of my life on an airplane if I really wanted to do that. But the thing I sense the Spirit of God saying to me is this, that we need to focus more here, to build something here that will make a difference everywhere else. I would love us to build together a community like this one that we read about in Antioch that is diverse, that is missional, that can be a place where ministries can come in and bless us and be blessed and be sent out, that is a place where there's Bible teaching that changes lives, that we reach out to Jews and to Greeks. I'd love us to build that together. I think we are beginning to build that. And so I'm planning this year to spend more of my time, more of my resources uh, here, building this here. Um, You know, I, I could be speaking to thousands, and I'd rather speak here frankly, because we're going to build something. Because there's something in me, I don't know if you share this, that says, um, God, please, don't do it somewhere else. Do it here and do it now. I only get one life. I only get one crack at this, and this is where I live. So would you please do it here? And I look around at the gifts. I look around at the talents. I think together we could really do something amazing. And so that's what we're going for, I I think. And, um, you know... If I was to sit down with each one of you, I'd quite like to do it, actually. Maybe I'll do it. And look you in the eyes and say uh, to you, what are the things God's put on your heart? I'd be really interested to know if we filled a whiteboard with all the things on the different hearts in this room. I don't think this is just about what's on my heart and then trying to persuade you. I'm really interested in what's on your heart and how could we work together to help facilitate the things that God has made you care about and passionate about? Is your vision just to get married and stay married and raise kids who love God? Well, let us help you do that with a marriage course and with pastoral support and good youth work. Is your dream to see broken and marginalized people loved and healed? Well, let's grow the family outreach program together. Let's invest into CAP. Let's invest into the uh, pregnancy uh, support uh, thing. Let's invest into Bushy Hill. Is your vision that you long to see thousands of people saved? Because you sort of sit there and you think, actually, I don't know who I'd be if I hadn't met Jesus. Well, I tell you what that drills down to, that vision of thousands getting saved. It's inviting someone on the Alpha course in the autumn. It's, it's, it's getting involved in helping with that. It's maybe running an Alpha course with DVDs in your uh, home. It's um, helping with the youth work. Is your vision to preach and to teach? Well, let, let's, let's develop more of a training and teaching environment with things like the Bible school. And if any of you want an opportunity to speak, come and talk to me about it. I'm not promising that I'll put you up here straight away, but I am promising that we will help grow and develop you. Is your vision to pray when well, you've come to the right place? <laughs> How many nights do you want to do? Is your vision to mentor and disciple? Well, we've really got people that need that and are asking for that. Is your vision a cafe, an art center, a venue? Well, we're going to have to start thinking about those kind of things. So that's what we're going for. 
really practically, guys, um, it's the usual three things that we're going to need uh, and that we're going to be asking for next Sunday. The first is time. We do this by giving our time, by each of us saying, you know, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to volunteer with the young people. I'm going to help ferry people around. I'm going to give a week of my holiday to go to Focus because I really want to be at the heart of this community and part of those relationships, whatever it is. We give time. I'm going to help set up on Sundays, etc. The second thing is prayer. I'm going to ask you to commit prayer, to pray for the leaders, to pray for this community, to, 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 to do your time in the prayer room, to come to the prayer meetings. And the third thing, of course, is I'm going to ask you to give financially, to give uh, money. And we're, we're working on all the sums, but I think uh, where we're um, heading is this. We're going to need to raise uh, about £70,000 of new money um, to do the things that, that the Lord's speaking to us about in the coming year. And uh, that is to uh, pay the team, to plant the work onto the bushy estate, uh, to support our global mission partners, to grow family outreach and Christians Against Poverty, to underwrite the pizza feasts, to provide bursaries. And, um, you know, that's the sort of money that we're going to need, I think. And it's, it's a tall order. We're talking about almost needing to double our giving. Uh, in the coming year. And if we don't get that, we just won't be able to do half of the things that we're we're wanting to do. Um, And, you know, just five simple keys to giving well. And it will be very quick when we're finished with it. But we see it in this passage. Firstly, they gave prayerfully. Notice in verse 29, they gave as each one was able. And Sammy and I, this week, will take time to prayerfully review our giving. We do this every year at this time. And we try to put up our standing order every year. It's like a little principle that we've got. And sometimes it's by a little, sometimes we're able to do it a bit more. But we just love to do that. Could I ask you, if you're unmarried, just get with your online banking and say, how can I give? Prepare this week. If you're married, get with your partner and say, what are we going to give? And pray about it. Ask the Lord, uh, what are you asking me to give? So give prayerfully. Secondly, give unconditionally. Notice they gave to the elders and to Saul and Barnabas. They just said, here's the money. You go and distribute it. And, you know, uh, your primary giving should be to the local church. I haven't got time to go into Bible teaching around that. And then everything, what Sam and I do is we then support various individuals and various charities on top of our tithe that we put into the local church. And, um, you know, I know it's complicated, and we, we don't sort of, you know, particularly um, monitor this or anything, but that's a good biblical principle. I'd really encourage you to pray about this and think about this because we've got some exciting opportunities ahead. And um, give unconditionally. And uh, if you trust me, if you trust the leadership team, you can ask us any questions. You can see any of the figures you want to. Uh, you know, as I say, we're setting up the charity under Chris's chairmanship. Uh, but, um, but, but trust us and, um, and, and, and give in that way. And I, I've been quite surprised looking at the figures, how few of our guys give by standing order. And um, I know people are very generous. They're giving all over the place to all sorts of different things. But I I would just really encourage you because then we can really plan on your giving. Uh, Third thing, give sacrificially. It's the widow's might principle. I'm sure that when they gave in response to Agabus' prophetic word, that was in addition to their regular giving. Fourthly, oh, and on the sacrificial thing, I love it when sometimes, last year at this time, students, I saw a number of students uh, increase their standing order by sort of two pounds a month. I love that because it's not about the money, it's about the worshipper's heart in there. And then um, give regularly. Um, It's so helpful. And finally, let's give joyfully as an act of worship. If anyone thinks, oh dear, this is just a pressure, please don't. But if you think, do you know what? I'd like to be part of a community that loves God together, loves one another together, loves the lost together, that makes an impact in Guildford, that makes an impact to the ends of the earth, that blesses 24-7, that plants into Bushy Hill, that grows our worship life, that invests into... I I feel privileged to be part of this thing and I want to help give. And if you want to give worshipfully and joyfully, we would love to that we'll give an opportunity to do that uh, next week so let's just finish with a word of prayer thank you for listening i know it's been uh, long
But um, and and do email me this week. You any questions or any anything you want to know? And I'd love us to be able to come uh, next Sunday, ready to give as an act of worship. And then we'll find out how much we've got, and from there we'll work out uh, what we are able to do in the coming year. So uh, let's all stand together, shall we? If you'd like to, uh, just as a way of saying, Lord, I, I, I don't know what it quite means yet, but, I, 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 but count me in. I want to I give my time. I want to give my uh, money. I want to I pray into this vision. I, I'm really, count me in. I'd love you. Um, I've got my eyes shut. Let's just all keep our eyes shut. But if, if you want to say, yeah, count me in, I'd love you just to um, hold out your hands now as a way of expressing that. Jesus, we want to uh, make a difference. We want to love you with all our hearts. We want this to be the most loving community in the area. We want to make a difference amongst those who don't know you. We want to bring renewal and hope to those who have some idea about you. And we especially want to reach those who have no idea about you. Lord, we want to give you our prayers We want to give you our time and we want to give you our money in order to do something for your glory together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Um, And do get in touch with me any questions you've got. And next week there will be opportunities to to give. We're not doing an offering today, are we? Yeah, if if you can't be here next week, then do just... uh,